Today on the Jay Doherty Podcast, six police officers wounded during an hours-long standoff in the Tioga Nice Town area of Philadelphia. The latest updates about the recent violence coming up. Also, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has banned two members of the so-called squad in the United States Congress. This comes per the recommendation of United States President Donald Trump. What does this mean for long-term American-Israel relations? Finally, the U.S. and world markets continue to rise and fall after a lack of tariffs and an inverted Federal Reserve rate. What's the bigger story. We'll answer all of your questions as all of that and more come your way right here on episode number 101 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is episode number 101. 3 p.m. sharp as we come on the air right now. We're broadcasting live. If you're listening in the podcast, welcome. If you're listening on the live stream, welcome. Thank you very much for being here. There's a lot to talk about in the news, both in politics and uh, in finance and in just general sad News: Six police officers wounded yesterday in an hours-long standoff in the Tioga Nice Town of Philadelphia. We'll talk about how it started as a narcotics call, but quickly escalated into something very different. We'll also talk about Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, a good friend, a good friend of President Trump. He banned two members of the so-called squad. Why did he do that? And uh, why he? And why did Benjamin Netanyahu even, you know, take advice from the president in the first place? We'll talk about that. And also, we're going to be continuing following continue to follow the U.S. and world markets. Uh, they're continuing to rise and fall as, of course, there's many, uh, the ongoing trade war continues between China and the United States, and also there's no tariffs that were scheduled to be imposed that could be good, that could be bad. There's continued talks in the next two weeks uh, between high-level, uh, high-ranking uh, staff on both sides, both the United States and China. We'll also talk about that inverted Federal Reserve rate. What does that mean? And, uh, how does that, how's that going to play into this whole thing? Because it's been a huge story because it's just a big story in the short term. But what does it mean in the long term? We'll talk about that. Before we get to any of that, though, we'll talk about, of course, all of the, what I just said on this episode. I want to, I just want to do this um, kind of more as a formality, but also just to point out how quickly the markets are moving today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average now at 25,579.18, up 99 points. The Nasdaq at 77.66.62, that's down about uh, 7 points. And the S&P 500 up 7 points at 2847.63. I only give you those reference numbers because by the end of this episode, when we talk about all of the uh, financial news, those those numbers will probably be completely opposite. And one, you know, I mean, the, the, mar- the markets are moving so fast today and we're uh, relatively close to the closing bell. It's 3.02 p.m. Central Standard Time. we got to start off with our first story, though. Six police officers wounded during an hours-long standoff in the Tioga Nice Town of Philadelphia. This whole incident started as a narcotics call. Philadelphia police were called to the scene uh, as a result. They were doing a drug bust because uh, of either a pre-scheduled activity or activity someone called in. 
After they showed up, though, somehow it turned into a standoff that lasted for hours. During that standoff, six police officers were shot. One, uh, one of those officers was grazed in the head, another one in the hand. Four other officers, of course, were shot, so that totals six. None of the officers' injuries were uh, life-threatening. And if you can believe this... All of these officers went home with their families safely after they were hospitalized. All of their injuries non-life-threatening, uh, and or, uh, yeah, they were all non-life-threatening, and they went home with their families very safely at the end of the day. They left the Temple University Hospital, which uh, gave fabulous updates uh, very quickly as the shooting continued nearby. They did this via Twitter. Uh, I did the same thing. Uh, so I updated everyone via Twitter the best I could. When I first was made aware of the situation, though, uh, there was reporting that many people had been killed, many officers had been killed. Uh, that was incorrect. It still is incorrect, and I apologize to everyone on Twitter. I initially uh, reported that information. Quickly, I learned that I was incorrect uh, because uh, I was getting information from a local affiliate that was reporting the same thing. Uh, so first, as I said on Twitter, I sincerely apologize for that. I quickly corrected the uh, mistake, and then, um, yeah, so, and, and, and so, it, fortunately, there, no one was killed, it was just a number of people that were shot, they all went home, and, and they were safe at the end of the day, but uh, once again, I do apologize for that uh, false information that I originally tweeted out, uh, and, and hopefully, I, I quickly corrected it, uh, so, that is the case on there. When I was first made aware of the situation, when I tweeted that information out, though, it was about 3.30 PM. So I'm just going to assume, because there hasn't really been a very clear timeline, at least in public reports or official reports, the the situation occurred at about 3.15 uh, p.m., like the actual situation occurred. It was picked up by local news at about 3.30, 3.45 that time, and then it was picked up by national news networks at about 4, 4.15 p.m. when it was made breaking news on places like CNN Fox, MSNBC, and others. So I tweeted this out, I think about three or, you know, four, you know, right when it was being made a big story, actually right before it was made a big story. So you can just see how there was a lot of information coming on. I wasn't even in the studio when I was tweeting that out. I was just getting information on my phone. So I apologize again for, for that accident. But the reason I bring the timeline up is because the standoff lasted until 11 p.m. last night. 11 p.m., so it started at 3.15, just about, and ended at 11. Now, it was in the initial stages very hard for the people on the ground to get information from the police. In fact, there wasn't an official uh, statement for quite some time as the shootings went on from local leadership or even national leadership, nothing that we've heard so far uh, by, from the president on this incident. The point man on all of this, though, at least on the ground in Philly, is Sergeant Eric Grip. He tweeted, suspect is in custody, SWAT is still clearing the house. That was at 11.08 p.m., so I'm just going to assume that the uh, suspect was put in custody custody at about 11 p.m. So he was tweeting that out at 11.08 p.m. That's when kind of the story uh, lost a little bit of traction because uh, at 11.08, most people, of course, were asleep, but also um, that, that was the last incident. The suspect was in custody. There was nothing really uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, talked about until the next day, which brings us to today at 9.32 a.m. Eric Grip, that same man, gave the basic synopsis of what happened in uh, the neighborhood shooting, stating, quote, six officers shot several more injures, injured a neighborhood terrified and many lives forever changed, changed 
It seems strange to look back at yesterday as a quote good day, but here yet I am, or he, yet here I am. I'm honored to serve with my coworkers and fellow first responders. Thank you everyone for the support. Very good guy. He is a sergeant in the uh, Philadelphia area, so uh, of course I always like to um, just commend all of the local uh, police officers, uh, local leadership. Uh, and people who were on the ground there, including the reporters, they did a phenomenal job in a very dangerous situation reporting locally on the ground. Now, the shooter in this situation, actually in the final hours of uh, this standoff, called his attorney. The attorney's name is reportedly Shaka Johnson. I suppose the uh, point person on this issue specifically is Richard Ross. He was the one who delivered this information. Richard Ross is the commissioner of the Philadelphia Police Department. He gave a large amount of credit to Shaka Johnson for the eventual voluntary release, the voluntary exit of the shooter from the location in which he was shooting from. The other local leader that uh, didn't have much involvement until today was Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney. He said in a press conference this morning, quote, Our officers deserve to be protected. They don't deserve to be shot by a guy for hours with an unlimited supply of weapons and an unlimited supply of bullets. It's disgusting, and we got to do something about it quickly. Completely agree, uh, and of course he's more talking legislatively, he blamed the NRA at one point, I don't know his specific language against the NRA, but he, he does have a very good point. Now, there's little known about uh, the legality of the gun at this moment, as someone was saying that is a .230 caliber gun, but this guy was shooting very rapidly at uh, police. I was watching the live stream. Uh, it, was, it was very, very fast shooting and very dangerous situation for the officers and even the reporters. You would literally hear the gunshots live on TV when they were uh, reporting. It was very, very scary situation, and uh, it's, it's, it's sick that, that people... Uh, can just have guns like that uh, in a legal way. Uh, so I completely agree with him on that. Um, Jim, That's Jim Kenney, once again, the Philadelphia mayor. In that same press conference, he also went on to say, quote, this government, both on a federal and state level, don't want to do anything about getting these guns off the streets and getting them out of the hands of criminals. Can you guess what party he is? He's a Democrat. He is the mayor, and that's what he said. Do you think uh, he has a point? Let me know. 312-625-8492. I don't think, uh, in terms of local crime, any presidential administration, including the previous one, has done nearly enough, if anything at all. Of course, the Trump administration doing even worse on that because they have such conservative policies relating to gun control. I don't understand, really, the argument. As I've said before, if you want to hear my deep in you know the in-depth perspective on what I think about gun control in the United States and the legislation that goes along with it, you can listen to episode number 98 or 99, but the general point is, I don't understand the argument that, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. That is a very flawed argument. If, if people kill people, then they wouldn't even have a, they wouldn't be having a discussion about guns. You point to the statistics. Well, there wouldn't even be statistics to suggest otherwise if guns weren't there. I don't believe in restricting gun owners, people who are going to have guns and use them. Uh, you know, not use them frequently, just have them, legally own them, and be in a good, uh, sound mind. But, people who are not mentally ill, who are not, who do not have diagnosable, uh, straight, very, uh, straightforward mental illnesses, this is according, I've listed hundreds of studies that suggest, directly from science and data, only about, 
a number in the single digits, only a number in the single digits percentage-wise have uh, mass shooters been diagnosed with a mental illness. And the reason I'm trying to be kind of careful with my words here is because I don't want to, uh, you know, sound incorrect in any way, uh, because I was listening to a doctor uh, on on the radio the other the other day. She was an expert on this, and she works for uh, Northwestern, which is a very prominent hospital here in the in Chicago. And she was saying, just going over these statistics, and you, she was kind of just talking about how Republicans and the people uh, who are pro gun they default to this uh, mental health suggestion, saying that this is all mental health simply because they can't fathom. Uh, just like I can, just like no one can, how someone would want to just go out there and randomly uh, start shooting people. That's what uh, sh- that's what the the doctor said on on the radio, and I I completely agree with that. I think that's why people default to that. And you just have to realize, as presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg says, we're the only country in the world that has more guns than people, and. At some point, we're just going to have to, on both sides, come to a consensus that you look at the numbers relative to other countries. I mean, America, so many people are killed on a weekly basis. And while I agree completely that the majority of the problems spout from legal, uh, from illegal guns, there is something to be said definitely about the incredibly large amount of guns that Americans own legally. So that brings me back to my legislative point about gun control, as I talked about in episode number 97, number 98, and number 99. That's my point there. Hopefully, I, I know I stumbled a little bit in the beginning. I just wanted to be very careful. Uh, basically, basically, what I was saying, though, is uh, there's a very small percentage, below 10% of people, uh, that have been involved in mass shootings that have a diagnosable mental illness. So that's the case uh, in Philadelphia. Very sad news there, but it had a pretty happy ending. Everyone got, all the officers that were uh, wounded there uh, got to go home after they were hospitalized. And um, it's just just another case of gun violence. It's very sad and something needs to happen about it. What do you think should happen legislatively about gun control? 312-625-8492 is the number. You can also comment on our next story here about uh, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He just banned two members of Congress, also members of the so-called squad, from entering his fine country of Israel. Why did he do that? That is next on the Jay Doherty Podcast. That's what happened there. Uh, I'm not joking uh, with you. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu literally banned two members of Congress, two members of the squad, from entering his country of Israel. Now, why did he do this, you might ask? Well, no surprise, President Trump actually told him to, or recommended strongly to do that. Um, that's what he did. He did it via Twitter. He didn't even, you know, do it, uh, you know, in a, form, in a formal way or anything like that. Um, so that's what, <laughs> that's how he did it. He said, quote, on Twitter this morning at 8.57 a.m., quote, it would show great weakness if Israel allowed Representative Omar and Representative Talib to visit. They hate Israel and all Jewish people, and there's nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. They are a disgrace. That's what President Trump says. Now, the thing that's really the, the, the shocker here is that Netanyahu listened. They issued a statement via an ambassador and a press secretary or something like that that, that uh, these people are banned. 
that I mean, they literally just said, or sorry, these two people uh, of the squad are banned. Now, these are Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. They, of course, are in the same bucket uh, as uh, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Presley, if you still think Ayanna Presley is a member of the squad. Uh, that's that's the box that they are in. Rashida Tlaib, though, is the uh, the real, you know, they, they both hate Trump. Uh, and Ilhan Omar, of course, has been very outspoken. Rashida Tlaib, not as outspoken. I think the the two heads of the squads, if you have, I mean, in, in order of ranking in uh, how much media attention they get, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez right up there at the top. Number two, though, would be Ilhan Omar. Number three... I'd have to say Ayanna Presley, number four, Rashida Tlaib. Only two of them, number two and number four, are were planning to go on Israel. Two of them have been banned. This is just to give you an idea of how much they hate President Trump. The feeling is mutual. Uh, this is what Rashida Tlaib said in her uh, most recent public national, nationally syndicated press conference. Well, the recent tweets and words from the president are simply a continuation of his racist and xenophobic playbook. So that's what she says. Now, I, you know, I, this is, I think, more about how they both hate each other more than actually about Israel, to be totally honest. Not to dispound or, or, or just, you know... Uh, degrade the comments that Ilhan Omar Omar has made about the Jewish people, which he apologized for, and I still think that those are terrible comments. He shouldn't have said it, and I'm not a huge fan of any of the members of the squad at all, by any means, but I think the president's uh, roots in the reason that he actually didn't want them to go is just for, you know, politics and political reasons. I That's just my opinion, but I think there there was some influence specifically on this issue with, you know, I mean, if they were going to, let's just say, uh, I don't know, anywhere uh, outside, if they were going to the United Kingdom, he wouldn't tell Theresa May just because there's Jewish people. Oh, no, now Boris Johnson. Sorry, I'm stuck in the old habits. He wouldn't tell Boris Johnson to go uh, and not have them because there's a Jewish population in the... Um, United Kingdom, and then you ask yourself, well, if there's, I mean, there's a large Jewish population in the United States, and and Trump says, uh, well, and, and, you know, you ask Trump that, and he's like, well, I did tell him to send him back, which is terrible. So he goes both ways. He doesn't want them to exist, basically. He doesn't want them to go to uh, Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to stay in America, where they were duly elected. So where, Mr. President, do you want them to go? That's the case. They both hate them. I only played Rashida Tlaib. Here's just an example of what Ilhan Omar said in that same press conference. This is the agenda of white nationalists. So I, I uh, hate both of them. Not for these clips specifically. I, I and I don't, I, I, I don't like, I don't hate them. But I just think, I, you know, there's certain things that they've done that they, the, the thing that really makes me mad is the people who are getting the most attention, which are Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and, and Ilhan Omar. They don't, they get all the media attention, but their policy is pretty standard progressive policy, except for, of course, the very heavily media-covered Green New Deal. And then uh, the people who actually, I think, are smarter in many of these situations, in fact, I think the smartest from what I've seen, and I could be wrong on this, is uh, Rashida Tlaib, who gets the least media attention, it's kind of like the most popular person, or the least the least popular person is the smartest person, and the other way around. That seems to be the case in the squad, in my opinion. Uh, and now, of course, you say, well, you know, 
what I mean, that's not the the squad's fault, right? I mean, they, you know, they they that's the network's fault. Why do they get so much attention? Well, it's because the networks put them on. Well, that's not necessarily the best argument, in my opinion. I mean, Fox literally plays AOC clips over and over and over again to paint a terrible image of the Democratic Party, one that's very radical and progressive. That's certainly not the case for the majority, even though it seems like that on television. Trump agrees uh, not with my second statement, but with my first. He says that these members of the squads are the front face of the Democratic Party or something like that. Um, let me see if I can get the tweet here. They said Donald Trump said uh, two hours ago that, quote, Representative Omar and Tlaib are the face of the Democratic Party and they hate Israel. That's what he said. That was a separate tweet, by the way, from that first tweet uh, about that. If we look here at his uh, Twitter timeline, it's kind of ridiculous. The most recent tweets from him are, The fake news media is doing everything they can to crash the economy. Okay, alright, alright, alright. I, I can't even take any more. We'll, we'll talk about the economy in a second, but he's blaming the fake news media for crashing the economy? Like, what? That makes no sense. I don't know. We got to talk about this Netanyahu thing a little bit more. I think the the members of the squad, of course, as I said, there's really not much to it. It was Trump said, ban these people. Netanyahu banned them. And Trump continues on his tweets. So for more on this, we go to three well-known politicians. First, Marco Rubio, very prominent uh, congressperson in... Uh, he's a senator, actually, but still a congressperson. Uh in in uh, Florida, he says, quote, I disagree 100% with Reps Tlaib and Omar on hashtag Israel, and I'm the author of the anti-BDS bill we passed in the Senate. But denying them entry into Israel is a mistake. Being blocked is what they really hope for all along in order to bolster their attacks against the Jewish state. Very, 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 very true. I, I completely agree. I think he has a very... Um, uh, good, good point. Uh, so that's I actually agree most actually about many of these people uh, about what, about what many Republicans how they're reacting. But I, we do have to just to be fair read the Democrats' uh, statements here. Nancy Pelosi says Israel's denial of entry to Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar is beneath the dignity of the great state of Israel. Donald Trump's statements about the Congresswoman are a sign of ignorance and disrespect and beneath the dignity of the office of the president. Completely agree with that as well. Now, of course, you have to also be super fair, go on the super far left of, of uh, the the demo of the you know, super uh, far left, the super progressives. She says, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez on Twitter. The members of Congress are frequently asked to uh, visit Israel to quote see things for ourselves. But Netanyahu choosing to ban only two Muslim women in Congress from entering the uh, U.S. tells that only, quote, some Americans are welcome to Israel, not all. Trump is exporting his bigotry and making matters worse. So, I agree with um, the, first, the first statement and the last statement. I don't think that Netanyahu is banning these uh, two fine women because they are Muslim, uh, I think he did it because Trump recommended him to do so. So he, I, I, I agree with some of what she says. I agree with all of what Marco Rubio said and all of what Nancy Pelosi says. Uh, pretty much I've actually agreed with a lot of what Nancy Pelosi said since the beginning of this. She seems to be a pretty sound-minded person within the Democratic Party, um, even though she is not given full credit for that. 
that's just my opinion uh, on that whole situation and how people are responding. I guess the real opinion that matters is APAC. You know what APAC is? Well, it's an acronym, and it stands for... Uh, well, I guess their mission here, we will just read it here. The mission of APAC is to strengthen, protect, and promote the U.S.-Israel relationship in the way that enhances the security of the United States and Israel. Very simple, right? Um, their whole goal is, um, their, their goal is, I mean, they're, you know, because the Israel policy and things like that, generally very conservative. They're a conservative organization. They're pro-Israel uh, and subsequently in kind of reaction, in a reactionary fashion, uh, anti-Palestine. They say on Twitter, quote, we disagree with Reps Omar and Tlaib's support for the anti-Israel and anti-peace D- uh, BDS movement, along with Reps uh, Tlaib's calls for a one-state solution, which they are, of course, t- totally against. They go on to say in the same tweet, we also believe every member of Congress should be able to visit uh, and experience our democratic ally Israel firsthand. So even they, the very, very, very conservative, totally anti-democrat, super anti-one-state solution and anti-Palestine, say that they should be welcome. And I agree. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that Trump is suggesting uh, otherwise, and it's kind of hypocritical in many ways. Um, because if they want to educate themselves, especially if Omar wants to educate herself based off of her very stupid comments that she made about Israel uh, and, and things like that, uh, you know, in the past, well, she the best way to educate yourself is to be on the ground there and go to Israel. Trump bans them. Trump recommends another country, country's prime minister to ban them. I wonder what would happen if they actually flew over there. They got to the, the beginning they got to the entrance of the country. They, maybe they landed in the airport. How would they react? How would, how would uh, you know, what would happen? You think they would be kicked out and told to go back? Maybe Netanyahu will start using the same language of the president, telling them to go back to where they came from. In this case, they actually did come from America, uh, both literally and figuratively. So, you know, or yeah, or actually no, not figuratively, just literally. I mean, they came from America in the first place. The only one, of course, Omar was born in Somalia, blah, blah, blah. You know, she, uh, they're all uh, naturalized citizens. They're all citizens of the United States and they're duly elected members members of Congress. Ilhan Omar agrees. She said uh, in a statement released by her that, quote, as a member of the House Committee of Foreign Affairs, it is my job uh, to conduct oversight of foreign aid from the United States of America and to legislate on human rights practices around the world. The irony of the, quote, only democracy in the Middle East making such a decision is that it is both an insult to the democratic values and a chilling response to a visit by a government officials from an allied nation. It's actually pretty well written, and I kind of agree with that. It's ridiculous that Trump banned them or recommends someone else to ban them. I mean, that's that's just insane. You gotta let people over there let them let them uh, win, and it also kind of shows, in my opinion, in some ways, and of course Israel is a uh, certain certain case in, in this, it is not, uh, you know, Israel, I mean, Netanyahu is best friends with Trump, as evidenced by the many interactions they've had, but it shows the kind of the arrogance of, of America, I mean, they generally, even if you look at the ASAP Rocky case in Sweden, which we'll get to in a second, and not a whole topic, but just for point of reference, like, Trump can just call up Netanyahu or even do it via Twitter. He doesn't even have to talk to the guy in the first place and say, ban these people from coming into their country. And it happens. 
Now, in the case of Sweden, which Trump does not have uh, as good of a relationship with the prime minister over there as he does with Netanyahu, Trump could just call up Sweden's prime minister and tell him to get ASAP Rocky back after Kanye West tells him to do that. And he, and he comes back. Like, if you committed a crime in another country that has a fair justice system, you have the right to serve your time in that country, in my opinion. Like, if you come, like, I mean, that's just America exerting their ignorance, or, I mean, their arrogance over the, uh, the, you know, other countries that are fair countries just like America. Now, that's not to say that America isn't great. Of course, it's great. I'm just saying that you have to realize, like, there's America, you know, it's not like how it was, you know, 70 years ago, 50 years ago, when there were so many other corrupt countries. I mean, there still are a lot of corrupt countries, but even countries like Sweden, where uh, ASAP Rocky was voluntarily visiting there, he committed assault, and then he, and then Trump can just go back and save him from the, the fair prison system over there. That's insane, in my opinion. Now, of course, Trump also tried to, um, you know, say, uh, like, you know, you can't, you can't uh, do any, you know, crime, you, crime charges against ASAP Rocky. And he called him up and he said, you know, please uh, lift the charges. He said that to the prime minister. He said, lift the charges. I don't want, uh, you know, get rid of it. As if he can do that, as if he's a dictator. They responded, of course, saying, like, uh, that we operate independent of any, you know, external forces. But could you just imagine, imagine if France, okay, so let's just say some, some French, uh, celebrity was over here, they're, they're from France, and they, and then the, um, let's just say Emmanuel Macron calls up President Trump at, like, two in the morning and says, look, there's this guy that is, that is being held, uh, right now, and, um, in your prison because he murdered someone. Not that ASAP Rocky murdered anyone, but just saying that's just a very uh, blatant and common crime. And this person is being held in jail for murder. And Macron calls Trump. You think Trump's going to just say like, oh yeah, release him from prison. He can't even do that if he wanted to. So it just shows the ignorance of America. and or, Sorry, not the, I keep saying ignorance. Sorry, not ignorance. Arrogance. Um, and I suppose that comes historically, but you know, it's up to the president whether or not you exude that. That's just my opinion. I suppose I would need to learn more. That wasn't even a planned topic for this episode, but I'm just saying as an example, like, you know, America just can call up any country in the world and tell someone to do something, and most times they do it. And now that Trump is president, they're starting to lose respect in many countries. So that's the big problem. One of those places where they're losing respect and also is not really, in my opinion, the most fair country, and by many others' opinions as well, China, that's where we're in the ongoing trade war. Of course, tariffs and tariffs, back and forth, tit for tat. The U.S. and world markets are continuing to rise and fall after a lack of tariffs and an inverted Federal Reserve rate. That is the next story and topic right here on episode number 101 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. U.S. and world markets are continuing to rise and fall after a lack of tariffs and an inverted Federal Reserve rate. Now, President Trump, of course, is blaming the Fed, the Federal Reserve, for concerns about a slowing U.S. economy after that yield curve inversion was the basically the prompt uh, thing in here that's, that started the fall in U.S. economies. We're going to take a quick look now at the markets. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average at 25,579.39, up 90. Oh, wait, is this the latest information? Yes, it is. 25,579.39, up 99.97. The Nasdaq down just about uh, 0.1%, 77.66.62, down 7.32. S&P 500 up about a quarter percent at 2847.60. That's up a flat seven points. Now, I want you to rewind and then come back. So we're currently about 30 minutes into this. I want you to go back to like, um, I don't know, it was probably like three minutes into this episode where I, uh, I, I don't even remember what, I, what the numbers were exactly, but I read uh, all of the market information. I just want to see if the markets change. They're going up and down very frantically uh, today. Uh, so we're going to continue to follow that, of course, but... People are, of course, are saying, uh, as uh, very evident, in, in, you know, it's very easy to see that um, the reason this is happening is because of that yield curve inversion. Uh, and the reason people are scared is because this yield curve inversion has happened seven times before, and it, it, it's always been a, you know, acted as a precursor to a recession. Not all, I mean, uh, in many cases, let me correct that, in many cases, not always, though. So that's that's why people are worried in the first place. Now, the president is blaming Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell uh, for all of this, he, who he appointed, just by the way, just so you know. Uh, you know, President Trump appointed this guy, uh, Jerome Powell. He said in a tweet that he's clueless and also uh, capitalized completely every word, crazy inverted yield curve, exclamation point. Trump also said in a tweet, trying to comfort himself supposedly in front of the American people, that the economy is, quote, winning big time, even though their trade war with China continues. You know, the other person he's blaming for this, not just Jerome Powell and his clueless Federal Reserve, the one that he appointed, is the fake news media. He says, quote, the fake news media is doing everything they can to crash the economy because they think that will be bad for me in my re-election. The problem they have is that the economy is way too strong and we will soon be winning a big on trade and everyone knows that, including China. All right. So I don't... <laughs> last time I checked, the uh, CNN and Fox don't have any influence over the market. They don't even trade publicly uh, on on stock exchanges or indexes or anything like that. So he says the fake news media is trying to crash the economy. I mean, that's just insane. His third most, most recent tweet is about the deputy editor of the, quote, failing New York Times. He says uh, that they were just demoted. He says also that they should have been fired, totally biased and inaccurate reporting. The paper is a fraud, zero credibility. Fake news takes another hit, but it's this time it's a big one. Wow. This is all in the same hour, by the way. And this was uh, just in between the, the comments about uh, Omar and Tlaib. He's also trying to comfort himself specifically with farmers who are taking a huge hit as uh, these uh, trade as this trade war continues and this yield curve inversion rate uh, stuff continues on. Trump says, Our great farmers know how important it is to win on trade. They will be big winners. Yeah, they know how important it is to win on trade because they're losing on it because of you right now. So, I don't know what he's trying to do. And then he comforts himself even more preemptively by saying, The United States is now, by far, the biggest, strongest, and most powerful economy in the world. It is not even close. As others falter, we only get stronger. Consumers are in the best shape ever. Plenty of cash. 
business optimism is at an all-time high. All right. Well, he does have a point in the case of Walmart. Walmart actually did really well today, uh, but the tech stocks are the ones that are making taking the big hit, uh, mostly because the NASDAQ, as evidenced by the NASDAQ numbers, plummeting very, very... Uh, they, they made up, uh, at least in terms of gaining their points back, but they did not earn gaining the, uh, you know, going upwards and downwards, but we're not, we haven't recouped co- totally from the losses yesterday. Uh, earlier today, Apple was down over 2%. NASDAQ now down about 0.01, or sorry, 0.1% totally. Um, and now, I believe, yeah, the markets have closed. The closing bell has just rung. Uh, so the Nasdaq down 0.09% at 77.66.62, down 7.32. That's how it closed up today. Apple down 0.49% at 201.75. Google tech stock actually went up, not very much though, just 0.4% at 1169.04. Taking a look around the world, Hong Kong, the Hang Seng market at 2545.46, up 194.65. The Japan Nikkei market in uh, is, let's see, down 1.2% at 2405.65. And the FTSE 100 market in London down uh, just over a percent at 767.01, down 79.96. Germany has been taking a lot of big hits uh, recently. Not taking big hits, though, at least in the closing bell. Oil, gas, gold, and silver, and corn are all doing pretty well. Gas, though, took a small hit at down 0.45% at 222. Oil at 54.65. Gold at 1534.9. Zero down. Uh, that's up 0.24%. That's measured in dollars, by the way. Also measured in dollars is silver, $17.24. That's up 0.18. And uh, corn is at 371.50, up 0.13%. Overall, in 2019, the stock markets have gained, but, and that's good. They've gained overall. The Dow is the one that's gained the least. It's only gained about 9.65% since the beginning of, t- beginning of 2019. Of course, Trump still has four more months in the year to uh, make up from that uh, and continue, uh, at least continue relative to the NASDAQ and S&P. The NASDAQ has grown 17%, even though it's taken the biggest hit next to the Dow in all of this trade war stuff. The S&P up 13.59% in 2019. So that's the case right now. That's what's happening on Wall Street. Um, Trump just continues to say that... uh, we're winning. We're doing good. You don't have to worry. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. Just don't look at the stock market and don't watch the fake news media. That seems to be a strategy all around, but this time it's relating to U.S. stocks. They suffered their worst day of the year yesterday uh, after the yield uh, uh, the yield on the 30-year Treasury bonds dropped to a new low, and the spread between 2- and 10-year Treasury yields inverted for the first time since 2007, before the economic crisis, which was also a recession. That's why people are worried. This is normally a precursor to recession, because it's preceded each of the last seven recessions. Germany and China have had very low numbers also, which caused the rally in global bonds as investors shifted away from equities and towards relative safety of long-term treasuries. Uh, that, according to Business Insider, that seems like a very good strategy. A lot of the bond uh, holders and big, huge investors uh, are, you know, staying in bonds and things like that uh, and going more conservative route, uh, which generally is a pretty good philosophy. And that, that takes a lot of look, uh, you know, a big look at um, a lot of the 
world markets. I mentioned Walmart earlier. I was trying to get their stock price. They took huge gains today, up over 6% right now. Wow. So that's pretty good, isn't it? Don't you think? I think it is. Um, 6%. And um, so, you know, that's, that's I guess, you, I suppose you could, uh, you could cite Trump, uh, you know, uh, saying that money is in the pockets of consumers. Um, although if you look at the stock over the month, they've dropped drastically. At the beginning of the month, their prices for per share were at 114.76. Uh, early August, they're at 105.82, and then also at 106.20 right now. So they went down $6 since the beginning of the month. They haven't gained back since what they did uh, since the beginning of the month, but over the six months, they're still doing pretty well. Major hikes in early June when the summer started. Their stock price in mid July or mid to early July was at 111, but before in the early uh, June, it was just at $100. So very, very good for Walmart. Great day for Walmart. They trade on the Nice and the WMT. Very, very good for Walmart today, and I suppose that is uh, what. Trump is referring to, and I just hope there's no recession, of course, and I'm, you know, the reason I'm talking about this in the first place really is because uh, I think we have to prioritize the problems that the United States has uh, in many, in many ways, Uh, you know, this yield curve is very scary because it preceded recessions in the past, but the real problem that's going to come, at least in international and long-term relations, is these tariffs. Now, the tariffs, as I reported uh, previously on the weekly file in episode number 99 of the Jay Doherty podcast, those are those are scheduled to be imposed the other day in the beginning of this week. They were not. They were rescheduled to uh, have talks between uh, Vice Premier Liu of China and Steven Mnuchin of the United States to renegotiate and maybe impose them later. Uh, Trump is still planning on imposing those tariffs at a later date, not all of them, just some of them, and when those happen, that's really going to affect consumers, because all of those are taxes that the American people, the general public, they will end up paying those, like without a doubt, everyone is affected by those tariffs, so that's going to shift the economy, he can't, Trump just cannot tumble these markets, It's it's not good, and that's not a good strategy, so that's the case there. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I hope for the best. There's really nothing more you can do except look at previous patterns, which all, which all suggest to a recession. But I'm still very hopeful. I don't know if that'll be the case, but uh, hopefully we can get ourselves out of this mess and the president can stop acting like a just an idiot. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's my really perspective on that. Uh, and I just hope that... Uh, you know, I, I, I think the president, as I said, and as I should do more, prioritize the stories, prioritize what's happening in the world. Like, don't just attack and tell people to ban people from other countries. Why don't you, like, you know, govern the country, look at the stock markets, look at the economy, look at the day-to-day lives of American people. That's what you campaigned on. Now you just gotta follow through on your promises. That's my opinion on the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 101. Thank you for listening. Oh, 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 oh,